you immediately heard the word cancer and you think, well, that's probably the end of your life. The room swims before you with the thought of your own mortality. Hello. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that you or someone you love has recently received some unwelcome news. It was quite a shock, to be honest, because, you know, I there's no family history of cancer. For a while, something didn't feel quite right. You know your own body. You can tell when you're not operating at 100%. So you went to the doctor. Or perhaps during a routine checkup, something unexpected came up that warranted some additional tests. I had a tiny, tiny bit of blood, which I thought was menopausal. But, you know, being something of a hypochondriac, uh, you know, contacted the GP immediately and they referred me uh, to hospital. Then you had to play the waiting game. Obviously, it's always a bit tense when you're waiting for medical results, but uh, understandably, they've got to have their, their meeting. The consultants sit around and, and, and discuss what the results are and then make a decision for each patient. And I do appreciate that, that that's what they do and they prepare a plan, and that is not going to happen overnight. So you bided your time, doing your best to distract yourself with work or play, but your mind was understandably preoccupied running through every possible scenario, forever alternating between glass half full, glass half empty, and every once in a while, glass smashed all over the floor. We're going to have to send you for a biopsy. I said, a biopsy? You're joking. And um, I was absolutely, to be honest, wetting myself. Then you finally got the call to meet your physician and received the news which knocked your world off its axis. I was very realistic that if it is cancer, what will you do? You know, how are you going to react? So I sort of emotionally prepared myself that if I heard that word, but nothing prepares you for hearing that word. You know, it, it softened the blow probably 1%, but I did think that it could possibly be, yeah, be cancer. And it wonder was. These are the voices of current and former cancer patients who've been treated at Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital in central London, one of the UK's leading centres for cancer treatment and research. Over the course of this podcast series, you'll hear from them as well as many others, as they kindly offer up their personal experiences with a disease that will at some point, whether directly or indirectly, affect us all. Consider them your peer support network. Peer support is when people share their own experiences to provide guidance to others going through a similar situation. They hail from a variety of places. I was actually born in Ankara, in Turkey. Work all manner of jobs. I train teachers. I'm a teacher trainer. One thing they all have in common? First-hand experience with cancer in its many shapes and forms. The only preconception I'd got about chemotherapy was that people had said it was quite bad and your hair falls out. Well, in my case, I wasn't too concerned about my hair falling out because it had already fallen out. Across 10 episodes, we'll cover everything from the moment of diagnosis all the way through to managing your recovery. Along the way, we'll tackle big questions like how to get the most out of your consultation 
and whether or not surgery is the right option for you. I'm your host, Julia Bradbury. In 2021, I became one of the 375,000 people who are diagnosed with cancer in the UK every year. I know firsthand what it's like to have your life suddenly upended by this disease and the havoc it can wreak on your body, mind and everything in between. I also know that with a little bit of luck and a lot of expertise, that surviving cancer isn't just possible, it's becoming more and more likely with every passing year. Whether you're a patient or a concerned loved one, you no doubt have questions, and lots of them. Our hope is that this series can provide you with some answers. We believe that this podcast can serve as a vital resource for anyone grappling with cancer, regardless of what point they're at on their journey. By hearing firsthand from our peer network of over a dozen cancer patients, we can help with some of the broader queries you're likely to have, as well as pointing you towards resources that can help you with your specific case. So think of us as your cancer support group, just in audio form. You're listening to Now What? Your Cancer Support Podcast. Today's topic of discussion, receiving your diagnosis. There are many types of cancer. Bowel cancer. Bladder cancer. Esophageal cancer. Breast cancer. Prostate cancer. And of course, many different types of cancer patients. No two cancer journeys will ever be exactly the same. But the vast majority of them have a number of things in common. For a start, they almost all begin in the same place. A doctor's office. An encounter journalist turned writer, Jad, remembers all too well. I was invited to go into King's so that a consultant could uh, relay to me the result of the biopsy. And we waited outside for a minute and uh, then I and my wife were invited in and the doctor said, uh, oh, we better have the cancer nurse in here. Um, And so that was rather giving the game away. Brian found out he had cancer in 2018 after he began to experience difficulty swallowing during a holiday to Spain. He told his doctor about his symptoms, who then sent him for an endoscopy. The result revealed he had esophageal cancer. But then you start hearing reassuring noises. Well, it's not obviously fatal. It is something that people do recover from if they have the right treatment. And so there is hope. It's not, this isn't the end of it. So don't go away thinking, well, you've got a few weeks left because you may have a lot longer. You've got cancer. It's hard to truly grasp how a development of that magnitude can be made to fit into such a short sentence. Three words, 14 letters, a contraction, a past participle and a noun that when put together, change everything. In fact, the word cancer is so potent that 80% of patients retain almost nothing else said in its wake when they first receive their cancer diagnosis. And I think after they said cancer, everything just went right off the wall and, you know, I I didn't pretty much hear anything else after that. They gave me some forms and I was like, shit, cancer, shit, you know. That's Chi a graphic designer who, in 2013, found out that she had bowel cancer. Chi was one of almost 375,000 people who are diagnosed with cancer in the UK every year. 
We mentioned that figure in the intro, but it bears repeating because it makes one thing abundantly clear. You're not alone. Receiving a cancer diagnosis can be an acutely isolating experience. But we're here to tell you that between the millions of people who've walked this road before you, your healthcare professionals and your loved ones, help is at hand. But of course, all that being said, there's no such thing as a correct way to react to such news. We were in shock, yes, but we both tried to, to think things through. Um, we went to, uh, to uh, the nearest pub and we had, <laughs> had a, a stiff drink and we talked it through. And we, we might have cried a bit. I think we did, uh, to be honest, because it was not, nothing I was planning. And there was me, you know, um, I'm two months away from my 70th birthday. Um, I've just, I've got the job that I'd always wanted. And there was this, this in front of me. All, all the, the assumptions I'd made, the world I'd built up, of where I was going to be going after, you know, I got this job, all those assumptions were just shattered. That's the voice of Dave from Wrexham in North Wales, who, after being informed he had bladder cancer in 2019, made the rather understandable decision to regroup at the nearest pub with his wife. It was the uh, Barrow Boy and Banker at London Bridge. Because we got the diagnosis round about 11 o'clock, at 12 o'clock it was still relatively empty and so we could find a, a good seat and sit down and we could stay there all afternoon really. Sometimes the news can be so overwhelming that your body simply shuts down, an experience Brian can most certainly relate to. I was sitting there in the consulting room hearing this news and passed out and I was passed out for several minutes which my wife found really sort of quite um, upsetting. I probably didn't know where I was. It was probably just too much to take in all in one go. And anyhow, when I came round, I was given tea and biscuits and, and felt a lot better after that. But even so, that was the beginning of the journey. For some patients, like Jad, who was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2021, the process of simply finding out whether or not they have cancer can be an arduous one in itself. There I was sitting with my legs in stirrups, presenting myself to this to, to these people who are doing their work in, in the clinic. I've got um, a dildo size um, probe in my anus. Some miscommunication caused West Wickham resident John a bit of unnecessary stress when he was undergoing his biopsy to determine whether or not he had prostate cancer. You had to get yourself into one of these gowns, so they take to a cubicle, and then they led you into this room where there was about three or four people, and they put you on this special chair and tip you backwards. And he says, oh, he says, um, I'm going to insert a, a needle through your perineum into your prostate. I said, oh, oh, that's not as I understood it. Oh, no, he said, well, no, this is, no, what you were told um, that, that was quite common. He said, well, now we've moved on to this system. He said, I'm going to push this needle through your perineum. He said, I'll give you a, you know, a local anaesthetic so you won't feel anything. Thankfully, what he initially took to mean 30 injections turned out to be one with adjustments. I said, oh my goodness, 30 samples? I said, you're going to stick that needle in 30 times? Oh, no, 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 no. He said, no, it's nothing like that. That took about, well, quite a long time. You know, you're in there, quarter an hour, 
and um, there was a lot going on. There was people, you know, looking at the screen and directing this thing. And, you know, after that, a nurse led me to go and get changed, get back into clothes. And then she said, oh, you must sit down for a quarter of an hour before you leave, just to sort of get over it. Quarter of an hour came and uh, she came back in. She said, I'm going to have to show because of COVID. I've got to show you another way out. She was directing me. Anyway, she looked and she said, are you all right? I said, oh, I think I feel a bit wobbly. Oh, oh, come back this way, come back this way. Anyway, she rushed me back to the seat and room I'd been in for this, um, uh, the actual biopsy. And she laid me down on this couch thing. She then started to take my blood pressure. And I said, look, I said, I've just had, I've been through this biopsy. I'm pretty sure my biopsy, my blood pressure is going to be higher than normal because I was a bit stressed. She says, I'm not worried about it being high. She says, I'm worried about it being low. <laughs> Whether it's a bolt from the blue or the seemingly logical conclusion of months of medical inquiry, receiving a cancer diagnosis is a destabilising experience. It doesn't matter how tough you are. Therefore, it's highly recommended that when you're meeting your doctor to find out whether or not you have cancer, that you don't go alone. However, as Teresa, who received a bladder cancer diagnosis in 2017, learned, even that's not a foolproof strategy. Now, I was with my partner, Charles, but he'd gone to get coffee. So actually, I was on my own <laughs> when I got the news. It's, you know, it's not slow, really, with these things. The reasons for this are twofold. First of all, if you're about to receive such news, having someone you can lean on to hand will be enormously beneficial. That, of course, won't be possible for everyone. In the event that you have to go through it alone, it's recommended that you have someone you can go to talk to afterwards, whether that's someone you know or a person you connect with via the many cancer support resources which are freely available. I would be online and just like, you know, trying to figure out what was in my mind and trying to like express it and able to find online through their website, I mean website, support groups. And they were very, 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 very supportive um, and very comical as well, you know. Uh, and again, it was seeing at different people at different stages, different subjects, and they answered those subjects. So instead of like Googling something and scaring yourself to death, you know, you could go to the different support groups that were there and you just not, not even having to join in, you just had to see the chat and most of them answered your question but sometimes you, you didn't know what it worries it what was in your mind but by reading it, it it seemed to click and you're like oh that was why and it made me feel better in those moments you know secondly there'll be an awful lot of information for you to process in that moment and having someone who can ingest that while you take in the news can be invaluable I think I was still sort of, you know, half in denial in a sense, you know, because we went along to that, not expecting to have the news that I'd got cancer. Donald, who hails from the valleys of South Wales, was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2022. So it was the it was the doctor that said, you know, you've got cancer and described Gleason things and um, ish, uh, numbers which sort of frankly went over my head at the time. But um, uh, that's where we were. My wife was with me. So we were, we were both a bit numbed, I think. 
I mean, I try to take notes with, with all of these things. I always go with a pen and paper and uh, scribble down bits and pieces because I realise that not everything's going to stick first time round. The only thing that kept the portcullis from slamming down completely was the fella said, it's treatable, it's treatable, it's treatable. You know, and that just kept ringing around. Well, okay, you know, because so often we regard cancer as a death sentence, don't we? And, uh, you know, no, it's treatable, it's treatable. We can do something with this. So that was that was the other message that, uh, that managed to seep, creep through. Research tells us that the odds of survival are vastly improved when cancer is picked up in its early stages. An early diagnosis can make an enormous difference when it comes to a patient's prognosis, in some cases making survival three times more likely. So how does a diagnosis typically come about? Many patients learn something is wrong after coming in for a scheduled checkup. Others will visit their GP with what they believe are relatively innocuous symptoms, only to find out that their situation was far more serious than they originally thought. It's very easy to notice changes and ignore them. The following patients didn't do that. They sensed something was wrong and they got themselves checked out. So there was two things really. The first thing that made me think I might not be too well was I started hiccuping, particularly after I'd had something to eat. I started hiccuping and I thought, well, that's very odd. It was mid-January 2019 and I noticed that I was bleeding from the tip of my penis and I thought this is a bit strange because everything I'd said about any kind of like prostate or bladder cancer there was always blood in the pee. Looking back the main thing would have been going to the loo more often at night but you know that's an old man's problem isn't it? Sometimes simply having a friend or family member who has first-hand experience with cancer can really help people to be extra vigilant about their own health. My sister, six months previously, had endometrial cancer. She recovered in that, uh, that six months. And I told her my symptoms and she said, I think you might have cancer. At 36, Chi had contracted bowel cancer a condition which most commonly affects people in their late 60s. But it was a long time before this diagnosis was arrived at. Along the way, she was told, amongst other things, that her symptoms most likely amounted to no more than hemorrhoids. It wasn't until nine months later when her sister accompanied her to an appointment and insisted Chi be checked for cancer that her diagnosis came to light. It was quite therapeutic, really, to, to finally tell someone my whole story and have them actually listen and not just fob me off or, you know, and make me feel as though it was all in my mind or I just wanted attention or something like that because um, I'm not that type of person. No two paths to a diagnosis are alike. Some are relatively straightforward. A symptom leads to a GP visit, which turns into a referral, which begets a test, which ends up in a relatively swift diagnosis. In other cases, it can be a lengthy process of investigation, one that can feel incredibly frustrating for the patient at times. All of this is to say that it's vital to keep asking questions, especially once you've received your diagnosis. And naturally, there are things you'll want to know that your physicians aren't in a position to tell you. What's the next step? What am I going to do? How am I going to survive? So much of living with cancer means living with uncertainty. 
When you have fears and doubts, ones that can't be answered in a straightforward manner, it's important to find different ways to cope. This is where leaning on friends and family or talking to someone who's gone through what you're going through is hugely beneficial. A lot of this stems from the fear of no longer feeling like you're in the driving seat of your own life. For many of our peers, going from being in total control of their lives to all of a sudden relying very heavily on their doctor's advice can bring up all sorts of emotions. It really sort of shocked me from that point of view that I hadn't done anything that I could see obviously would bring this about. Well, it wasn't anger. It was probably more to do with putting your life in uh, the hands of experts. You know, you want to ask the question, well, how long have I got to live? And of course, no one could ask that. Emotions complicated by the fact that some of our peers never felt what they would describe as sick. I never felt ill. So it's worth remembering that even when I was very seriously ill, I never, ever felt ill. I could still ride and walk mile after mile after mile. You know, there was absolutely no pain. I'm totally continent. Um, to, to look at me, again, I'm not ill, I've just had cancer. For most, cancer will mean an immediate shift in priorities. Long-standing plans will likely need to be put on hold. Certain pastimes and vices might need to be temporarily set aside. You sort of cut your cloth and limit your ambitions when you do have cancer knocking on your door. Hobbies and holidays may, for a time, have to give way to hospital visits. The chemotherapy sessions, the operation, it was, curiously enough, a relief to hear I was going to go through all those um, it's, it might sound a bit bizarre, but even so, it was, it was sort of a question of the difference between life and death, basically. Regardless of what stage you're at in your cancer journey, it's important to understand that your emotional response will not be static. Just because you take the news of your diagnosis well and move forward with a can-do, let's-beat-this-thing attitude, doesn't mean that there won't be moments, days weeks or even entire months when you find yourself depressed, frightened and emotionally drained. For every day when you feel ready for action, there will be another where you want to wave the white flag. It's important to allow yourself to exist along the entirety of the emotional spectrum. The things you absolutely take for granted, you, you miss when they aren't there. Well, getting a cancer diagnosis gives limited opportunities for comedy but um, you know, we, we realise that uh, we, 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 there's a challenge here and we're just going to have, to have to go through it. So you imagine you've got heaven and hell on two full scap sheets. So pros and cons. So right, cons, right, write the funeral, who's doing uh, uh, what. And then you drop that in favour of uh, sudden optimism and ambition coming back. <laughs> It's quite, yeah, it's quite, it's quite emotional, really. But all that happened within about the space of about three hours. So, you know, one one minute I'm uh, at the bottom, rock bottom, being miserable, and then, you know, a bit later I think, well, I don't know, you know, where where there's life, there's hope. So I'm all right now, <laughs> feeling better. So, come on then, crack on with it. 
At the end of every episode of this podcast, we're going to try and leave you with a couple of takeaways pertaining to the topic at hand. So first things first, pay attention to your health. And if you're of a certain vintage, remember to get yourself checked out by a doctor where necessary. Endlessly fixating on your health is never the solution, but there are several sensible things we can all do and look out for that can go a long way to keeping us in fine fettle. That makes you think that, ooh, every day counts. And you do uh, take slightly more note of what's going on in your body. When it comes to the moment of diagnosis itself, if you can, don't do it alone. Having someone with you in that room will help you in that moment and create the beginnings of a support system for what comes next. And if that's not possible and you feel like you need to talk to someone, please visit our show notes where we point you towards resources that will help. We're all human and every possible response is a human one. None of them are more or less appropriate than the other. Tears, alcohol, a few days under the duvet, they are all understandable reactions. To be diagnosed with cancer is to be diagnosed with uncertainty and we all deal with uncertainty in different ways. You might find your own personal solution by looking inwards, relying on your inner strength. Others will prefer to go the outward route, finding people to lean on. Whatever course of action you choose, it's important to remember there's no one-size-fits-all coping mechanism for every part of this journey. Persevering is knowing what mechanism to use at what time. Always remember, no matter what, you're not alone. On the next episode of Now What? Your Cancer Support Podcast, our topic of discussion will be communication. Yeah, but I couldn't bear to tell the wider family or anyone else really till I knew the significance of what was happening. It wasn't that I was in denial, it's just that I didn't want to tell people and I certainly didn't want any sympathy messages and I didn't want anyone being a bit ghoulish coming around to see me in case I was going to die. Now What? Your Cancer Support Podcast is an NHS podcast produced by What's The Story Sounds. It's hosted by me, Julia Bradbury. For more information on the topics discussed in today's episode, as well as links to additional resources, please check out our show notes. This series was created by the leading cancer specialists at Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital and their patients, whose personal testimony you'll hear on this and every other episode of the podcast. We're beyond grateful for their contributions. Brian, Chi, Dave... Donald, Jad, Jim, John, Sirdar, Teresa and Wendy were the peers who featured on this episode. This episode was produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. Executive producers are Daryl Brown, Sophie Ellis, Stephanie Fraser, Naomi Good, Zainab Noor, Jessica Nyman and Julia Tadeo. Special thanks to Placida Ojinaka, Abiola Coca, Evan Russell and Guy's Cancer Charity.